0: You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. No longer a slave to fear. Isn't that good? That's a good... If we just left on that today, many of us could sense a sense of freedom. Because in our lives, we are constantly fighting against slavery to things, right? Whether it be fear... um. Maybe there's an addiction. Sometimes we get enslaved to performance-based relationships, whereas maybe when you grew up, you felt like you could never get your parents' approval or love. Maybe it was in your own internal fight, a battle. Maybe it was something that was genuine. You never could get their approval or you never felt their love unless you lived up to a certain standard. Um, Maybe you were in a marriage relationship like that. Maybe it's at your job and it's just you're constantly fighting for acceptance. You're fighting for approval or for someone's love. And I've entitled the message today, Freedom Fighter, because it's a battle we all struggle with. And we constantly see relationships that are based upon maybe a facade because people act a certain way around you. And then when they're not around you, they act a different way. As a pastor, I see that more probably than even you do. Um, I like to golf, as many of you know, and, and I play in a tournament or two here and there uh, during the year, and sometimes when I play in a tournament, and maybe I know one person on there, and there's a couple that I don't know, I say, hey, don't tell them I'm a pastor, because it just gets weird. It just gets weird. Everybody starts talking in this weird King James English around me. <laughs> they do. They start talking this weird language, and their buddies look at them going, who are you? And, uh, you know, they 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 don't, you know, when you tee off and you have a bad shot, if you want to let a word fly, let a word fly. Don't let me keep you from it. I'm not God. You know, God's the one that's up there listening to you when you're on Saturday without the pastor being there, okay? but But we have those, we just have this struggle that we feel like we need to measure up to someone's expectation of us. And we'll put on a false front, and we act a certain way around certain people, and maybe certain people act that way around you, and that's just not genuine. So we're constantly fighting against this performance-based freedom, and we're constantly trying to get away from performance-based relationships, because when we can just really be who we are, that's where real joy is found, right? That's where real love and acceptance, being known fully known and fully loved, that's what we really all And as we're looking through the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia, that is what Paul is writing about. And if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back. There's a lot of foundational material that we covered last week that we're not going to be able to repeat this week, but it helps you understand the whole letter as to why Paul wrote this book. But look at Galatians chapter 2, verse 1, and here's how he begins this chapter He says, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. This was 14 years after Paul's conversion. And as we know from chapter one, Paul was converted on the road to Damascus and he went away for a number of years in order to just spend time alone with God. He went up to Arabia, spent time up there, journeyed down to Jerusalem. That's when the Jerusalem council was taking place. But he says, 14 years after that, he went up after his conversion. He went again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim. And this revelation that he says he went up there, the reason he went to Jerusalem was because there was a prophet there by the name of Agabus, this person prophesying that there was gonna be a famine In the area, and Paul had gone down there out of this revelation or because of this revelation, he had gone down there. And so he says he laid before them or set before them, although privately before those who seemed influential, he set before them the gospel that he had been proclaiming for all of these years. He had been preaching this gospel. And if you remember from last week, he had not gone directly to Jerusalem to compare notes with the apostles. When he was converted by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, he went and spent time with God, learning directly from God in this inspiration of God, and he'd been preaching the message of the gospel. And so he took that same message and went back to Jerusalem to set this before them for their consideration. And the reason he did that, he did this among the Gentile, that he'd been preaching among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. So this number of years that he had been preaching this gospel, he wanted to make sure for two things, I think. One of them, he wanted to compare notes to make sure that he was on the same page. And there's a, there is a level of accountability that comes with our Christian heritage. We are a Baptist church, and we are a Baptist church because of the set of doctrinal distinctions that, that I hold to and that we, as a body of believers, hold to. We hold to some things. And there is, we more or less stand on the shoulders of men who have gone on and preached this same message before, and we're not over here preaching something that we just think is right for our time. It is a message that has been good for century upon century upon century. And so Paul, wanting to make sure that his message was, in fact, in line with the other apostles But there was another part to that too. He wanted to go back because if you remember from last week, there was a group of Judaizers that wanted to discredit Paul. They wanted to say that Paul's message was contrary to the one that had been preached in and around Jerusalem and in uh, Israel. So he wanted to go back to make sure he had the affirmation from the church leadership of that day. So there was a twofold purpose in that. He says, but even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. And a little bit of background for that. The Judaizers were called, as we'll see in a few moments, the circumcision party. And the reason they were called that is, if you remember, the reason for the Jerusalem council in Acts chapter 15 was so that they would go against these Judaizers that said, if you wanted to become a Christian, you first of all had to become a Jew. So the Jews believed in circumcision. It was an Old Testament practice that they were imposing upon these New Testament believers, the feasts, the festivals, all of that. They wanted to impose them upon these Gentiles or non-Jewish people. And so Titus, who was a Greek, as we'll see in just a moment, they didn't force him to be circumcised. Titus was kind of their test case to see if in fact the Judaizers or the church leadership actually would force him to be circumcised and to live like a Jew. Yet, because of these false brothers, there's a little Greek word, it's um, pseudo-Philadelphos or something like that, pseudo-Philadelphos, which means um, false brothers. It means that they were pseudo-Christians. They were they were not genuine. They were sham Christians, so to speak. And so these secret, these false brothers, secretly who had been brought in, they had slipped into the church to spy out our freedom. So they were looking to see how the churches were, were acting away from Jerusalem, they had slipped in to check out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us back into slavery, slip us back into this bondage to the old law that we have freedom from because Christ fulfilled all of that and Christ satisfied all of that. And so these pseudo-Christians or these undercover, fake Christians had come in to try to get them to go back to that. Wanted them to go back to those old laws, and wanted them to slip back into this performance-based Christianity that we'll talk about. He says to them, "We did not yield. We didn't give in. We didn't submit even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you." And the truth of the gospel is, is that we are no longer under the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. In the Old Testament, there was a. There were 600 and something laws. There were different ones, and they were, they were obligated to those. But the only purpose of all of those was to point forward to a Messiah, a Jesus, to Jesus that was going to come and free them from that because he would live the perfect life and become the perfect sacrifice. So all of that Old Testament law was satis- satisfied in Jesus. And so we want you to believe the truth of the gospel And that the truth of gospel might be preserved for you, and you wouldn't slip back into a performance-based Christianity. And from those, he says, from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partialities. And there are some who think they're all that. There are some who think they're influential. But Paul was saying, we are all the same. There is no Jew, no Greek, nobody else. We are all equal in God's eyes, and there's some who think they're influential, but Paul says, that makes no difference to me. God doesn't show partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential, they added nothing to me. They didn't increase my faith, They didn't add any knowledge to me. They didn't add any affirmation that I didn't already have from God. He says, so these ones who thought themselves to be influential, I didn't need them, but I went up there for a purpose. He says, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised or the non-Jewish crowd, the Gentiles, if you will, when they had seen that I was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as much as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised. So Peter stayed right around Jerusalem. He was the one who preached on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit fell and infilled the believers at that time. And so Peter was trusted with the gospel. And Paul is saying, just as much as you put the emphasis and trust in Peter and the way that he has presented the gospel— I have the same authority and the same measure of entrustment by God for the Gentiles, for the non-Jews. For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, he worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles." So Paul's saying, I am no less than Peter. I have just as much authority and God trusts me with the gospel just as much as this leader that you have, this influential leader in Jerusalem, I am on equal level with him when it comes to proclamation of the gospel and apostolic authority for the church. So, and when when James and Cephas, which is another name for Peter that he was called, James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars in the church, perceived the grace that was given to me. So these men, and and they were leaders in the early church, when they perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and to me. So this is how we know that these early church leaders in and around Jerusalem affirmed the message of Paul's gospel, the one that he was preaching, was the same that they were because they gave him the right hand of fellowship. And you've heard that term in church all along. That's where it came from, the right hand of fellowship, meaning that we approve of one another. And that's what they were saying. These early church leaders, James and Peter and John, they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship, him and Barnabas, because they approved that they should go to the Gentiles and they would go to the circumcised. So they said, we need to understand our unique callings. Peter and his team, they had a calling to the Jews to convert the Jews over from Judaism over to Christianity to follow Jesus, the Messiah, that they didn't believe was the Messiah. And Paul said, I will go out here and I will spread the gospel among the uncircumcised or the Gentiles, he says, the only thing they asked of me, once they knew that we were on the same page, preaching the same gospel, they had one request, and here it was. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was already eager to do. It's interesting that, that Paul included this for the early church. He says, you go out and go proclaim the gospel. We affirm that, we give you the right hand of fellowship, we say you're on the same page as us, but when you go out, don't forget the poor. Don't forget the poor. And Paul says, I wasn't going to forget them anyway, but they gave me that reminder. And when it comes to the church, it's easy for sometimes us to just get up and proclaim truth, truth that we stand on, but we don't go out and live it out. And that's what I think what what the early church leaders were wanting Paul not to neglect. Go out, preach the gospel, but don't neglect the needs of people. Jesus was beautiful at this. He would feed the 5,000, he would feed the 4,000, he would heal the lame, he would heal the sick, and then he would give the message of hope. He would often meet a physical need before he met their spiritual need. And we at Charity, we are really good at that. We're really good at that through our food ministry and through our Charity Cares initiative that we've got going on, And, and the purpose of all of those is not so that we can brag about that, because if you're bragging about it, your heart is in the wrong place. What Jesus said is, go out, Do your good works, let others see your good works, so that they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. It does not contradict what he said earlier in that same uh, Sermon on the Mount, or later in that Sermon on the Mount, where he says, Don't let your right hand know what your left hand does. That's not what he was talking about. He was saying, Your motive matters. And so when we do good works, we always have to make sure that our motivation is pure. And I can't speak to your motivation or speak about your motivation. I can only test my motivation. But we can go out and do good works so that others can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's how we let our light so shine before men. And this is what he was talking about. He's saying, don't forget the poor. Here's how Martin Luther put it. He says, after the preaching of the gospel, the office in charge of a true and faithful pastor is to be mindful of the poor. Be mindful of the needs of those around you. Even though you're proclaiming the hope of the gospel, the hope of the gospel for eternal life, don't forget the needs of this life. Don't forget and don't neglect to meet those needs. John Piper says this, let us us care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. We don't want people to die and and go to hell and spend eternity away from God. And we can get so caught up in preaching that message and people are living in hell here on earth because their needs are not met and there's neglect and there's abuse and there's things like that. As a church, we need to make sure we're ministering to those who are hurting. All suffering needs to be met, but especially the idea of eternal suffering and so Paul moves from this and in the latter part of this chapter the, the next 10 or 11 verses he is talking about a confrontation that he has with Peter who uh, is respected and revered in the early church and he says this but when cephas or Peter came to Antioch he said I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned not condemned by God that's not what he's talking about he was he was being condemned in the eyes of of the Gentiles and the Jews that were watching him. He was condemned in the face of these Gentiles because they already understood this doctrine of by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that you get your salvation. But what Peter was doing, he says, before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. He was associating with non-Jewish people. He was associating with the uncircumcised, but, When they came, they, the certain men who came down, said from James, when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. He was fearing those Judaizers we talked about last week that would impose Jewish law, Jewish festivals, Jewish feasts on Gentile believers. And he says, Peter, when he wasn't around them, he wasn't around the religious crowd, he was eating with Gentiles. He was saying, pass me that steak. Pass me that lamb chop. Just, he was just indulging with them, and he had the freedom to do that. There was nothing wrong with that. But the problem was is when the spiritual crowd came up, he started hiding it. And he started slipping away, and those who he had been fellowship, fellowshipping with started looking at him and going, why are you being hypocritical? Why are you no longer, are we just not good enough for you any longer? And you've been in relationships like that, right? You've been in those where, where you, they they're act like they love you and they act like you accept you and all of that. And then somebody else shows up and all of a sudden they're not your friend anymore. Maybe it was back in high school that you dealt with that, but I think some adults act that way as well. And he goes on, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So when Peter got up and left the table, other people got up and left the table with him, Barnabas and other Jews who were looking to Peter as their leader. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, he said he's getting ready to call him out because Peter's influence had caused others to slip into hypocrisy as well because they were looking to him for their cues and how to act. And so when Peter saw the religious crowd and he slipped away from the table, got away from the Gentiles, others thought, well, that's what we're supposed to do. The Gentiles were getting offended by that, by their hypocrisy. And so Peter's influence had caused others to do the same thing. And so here's what Peter or Paul said. If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? He says, how can you live a hypocritical life? And what, what Paul was doing is he was speaking truth into a hypocritical situation. And speaking truth is more important than outward harmony and peace in some of our relationships. There are some of your relationships right now that you need to speak some truth into. You have friends that, that live one way on Sunday, they live one way around one crowd, and then they go out and they live another way around another crowd. And you as a believer, as a fellow Christian to them, need to speak truth into that situation. And some of you, maybe you're not a believer, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. The reason you're not is because of hypocrites like that. You have seen bad Christians, and you would go, I want nothing to do with that kind of a church, or I want nothing to do with that kind of religion. Let me just tell you, that, should, that kind of behavior does not reflect upon the Christ that we serve. That type of behavior is contrary to what Christ teaches, and that's why I get up and preach sermons like this so that we won't have this idea or we won't have this hypocritical lifestyle. We're speaking truth so that um, people will, will understand the hypocritical life that they live because harmony and peace at the expense of truth is a dangerous place to be. Harmony and peace at the expense of truth is dangerous. If you've ever been in a relationship where there were lies and you didn't confront the lies because you wanted, quote, harmony and peace. You didn't really have harmony and peace. You had pseudo harmony and peace. Truth needs to come to the forefront in order for that to be really realized. Because we know this belief, when it doesn't equal, be- or belief without behavior equals hypocrisy. You have a belief system, but your behavior doesn't measure up to your belief system. You're a hypocrite. I'm a hypocrite. When those things don't align, when our behavior and our belief system do not align, we are hypocrites. And that is what Paul was confronting Peter over. He was a hypocrite. But we know Peter. He was, he was one of those guys that just liked acceptance. He wanted people to like him. That's probably why he jumped out of the boat the first and jumped on the water and started walking on the water. He wanted Jesus to receive him and accept him. He's also, that's the same reason, that same desire for acceptance was the same reason he denied Jesus three times because he wanted the crowd to accept him. And here we see him again, that old Peter making his way from, to the top. And he's, he's push, uh, shunning these Gentiles because the Judaizers showed up. He goes on. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile Sinners and Gentile sinners is just the way they referred to Gentiles because they were non Jews. He says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also believe in Jesus or Christ Jesus. He's we have a belief system, we know that justification does not come through works of the law, it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. In order to be justified by faith in Christ and not only are not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will ever be justified. So why would you try to be justified in the eyes of God or received by God, accepted by God, forgiven by God through trying to live up to the law? It's not through that. It's through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You'll never measure up to the law, so why go back to that? So justification simply means that the law has no more authority to condemn, and there is no barrier to fellowship with God. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are justified by God, meaning that, that we are no longer condemned for our sins and we can have full fellowship with God. That's what justification means. Then he goes and says, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. What he means by that is this. If we claim to be justified by faith, yet we believe it's okay to continue in sin, we are basically implying that Jesus endorses sin. Because here's the problem. In our belief system and in our doctrinal stand, we believe in the security of the believer, meaning that if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you are saved by faith in Jesus Christ alone, not of works, then you are eternally secure in that. So if you sin after that, you don't lose your salvation. That Scripture is very, very clear on this. But there were some who would say that that kind of belief system gives a license to sin, it means that, yeah, I can get saved, I can cry at an altar, I can ask God to forgive me and, and, and to uh, come into my heart and save me, and then I can just go and live any way that I want to. If we say that that's what Jesus said, then we are saying that, God, that Jesus endorses and condones sinful behavior, and we don't believe that. Here's how he confronted that. He says, for if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor, meaning that if I go back to the old way of law after I'm saved, then I choose, I choose to be a transgressor because I'm going to sin again. And what we have to do is stay away from the legalistic demands of salvation by grace through faith plus anything else. So if your salvation, if your ticket to heaven, so to speak, or if God confronted you when you get to heaven, he says, why should I let you into heaven? If your answer is, I trusted Jesus as my savior and I was, and you fill in the blank. If there's anything that you add to salvation by grace through faith, we are saying Christ's death has no effect because there's a performance that we can do that earns our way into heaven and that is not the gospel. So if you're saying it's in Jesus plus I was baptized, not the, not the right answer or I showed up to church most of the time, or I watched in li- online every time, or I gave X amount of dollars. If you add anything to salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, that makes Jesus' death of no effect because you're saying there's a performance to it that you can add to it and that's, a, that, that's what's needed. So stay away from that, that's legalism. That's legalism, that is a false view of the gospel. Paul goes on, for though the law, for through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I'm no longer obligated to the law. Now I'm living in obligation to God and God alone, not to the law. It's not performance based any longer. It's relationship based. It's because I love you, God. I go and I obey you, and I live for you, and I and I share the gospel for you. It's not because I'm obligated to the law. It's because I love you. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who is now living in me. So the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me, So Paul is saying this life that I live, it's not because I have to live in obedience to the law. It's because I want to live in obedience to God. I want to please God because I love God and God loves me. It's not for his acceptance. It's from his acceptance that I am loving and leading and learning and striving to be obedient to God. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If righteousness, if you can get right with God through obedience to the law, Christ died. His his death was of no purpose to you and me. But you know what? You cannot get right with God through the law. You cannot get right with God through obedience to the law. You're gonna find that you're a failure at that. And when you're a failure at it, you know there has to be somebody who could be good at that, that was perfect at that, and that was Jesus. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for your sins and for my sins. He satisfied the wrath of God that he was going to pour out on you and me. Jesus satisfied that. and So you put your faith in the act of what Jesus did on the cross saying, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, And I have broken your law and I can't live up to your law. So I'm just gonna put my faith in Jesus who did live up to the law, who satisfied the righteous demands of God. And I'm putting my faith in him as my savior. So when I get to heaven and God says, why should I let you in? Your answer can only be because I trusted in Jesus as my Lord and my savior. And he will say, come on in. And when somebody else says, but you never were baptized, you say, it doesn't matter. When somebody else says, but you never gave a dime to the church, it doesn't matter. When somebody else says, but you never showed up to church, it doesn't matter. But you said a bad word when you hit a bad tee shot, it doesn't matter. I put my faith in God, put my faith in Jesus. That's where my salvation comes from. So when we walk by faith, we are free to live because we're not burdened down any longer by believing that we control outcomes and circumstances. So when you start to live by faith in Jesus Christ, Paul is saying, this life I now live, I live by faith in Jesus Christ. So when Paul felt like he was called to another place to go preach the gospel, he didn't go, well, I need to make some better plans first. What if I get shipwrecked on an island? So be it. What if I get bitten by a snake? So be it. What if I get persecuted? What if I get thrown into prison? Paul didn't worry about those details. He's saying, this life that I live, I live by faith. I'm gonna walk in obedience to God because He saved me. If He saved my soul for eternity, certainly He can help me look. He can look after my next step. Certainly He can help me navigate through my day. That's the God I serve. And I can walk by faith. And I don't have to control the outcome. I don't have to control my circumstances. All I can control is the faith that I put in Jesus Christ every single day of my life. We don't know what's coming ahead. I could get hit head on by a car on my way home today and there would be nothing I could do to control that. I just got to walk by faith in God. Saying, God, I can't control the circumstances around me. I can't control the people around me. All I can do is trust you and walk by faith in you. And that's working from a place of salvation, not for salvation. Because if we live by faith in the one who gives us life, we live in, by faith by giving up our life because, to the one who gave up his life. Let me read that again. We live by faith in the one who gives us life by giving up his life. Because he gave up his life for you and me. There are two pillars of, of the gospel. It's grace and it's the death of Christ. And legalism, legalism actually nullifies both of those or destroys both of these things. So there's two pillars, there's grace and there's the grace of God that's unmerited favor that God bestowed upon us and then the death of Christ on the cross. Those are the two pillars of our Christianity or the gospel. Legalism destroys them both because we say that now it's no longer grace, it's something that I've done to deserve God's grace or, or God's love and affection and His forgiveness. And the death of of Christ on the cross nullifies whenever we think that it's a performance-based salvation. So what we have to do is we have to stop trying to live, stop trying to earn what you can never earn. And if you could earn it, why would Christ die to secure it? So you can never earn your salvation. You've just gotta put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And I'll close with this. We do not live in obedience to earn something but in order to show something. We don't live in obedience to earn God's love and his acceptance. We live in obedience to show God's love and God's acceptance. By this, Jesus said, will all men know that you are my disciples if you will have what? Love for one another. That's it, we're working from a place of forgiveness, not for his forgiveness, from a place of love and acceptance, not for his love and acceptance. It flips the script on what most people believe this relationship with God is all about. So as we close out today, think about this. With belief, without behavior equals hypocrisy, where does hypocrisy show up in your own life? If you don't know, ask your wife, ask your kids, Ask a friend, have you allowed the legalistic demands of performance-based Christianity to affect your fellowship with Christ? Because sometimes we we get fearful of going to Christ because we've just misbehaved again. We don't wanna be in his presence. How have you let the legalistic demands of performance-based Christianity, have you allowed that to affect your fellowship with Christ? Some of you grew up or came out of a religious system that that's what this was about. It was about performance-based. And once you messed up, you had to go to confessional. You had to go confess again and again and again and again in order to be right with God. And certainly there's a level of truth to that, but it's it's working, it's a different way. We're not in a performance-based idea of Christianity. How can you live in obedience as a way to show something rather than to earn something? What can you do this week to show that you've been forgiven of your sins? What can you do this week to show that you are in fact a child of God, So as we stand together, if you're here today and you've never simply trusted in Jesus Christ as your savior, you've added something to that, let us talk to you about that. Let us talk through your, your belief, what, what you've come to realize. Maybe today you realize it is by grace, through faith alone in Jesus Christ, and you're ready to receive that. You're ready to step into that relationship. And please come meet us down here at the altar. Come meet us back in the guest VIP room right after this service. Father, we love you because you first loved us. And God, as we live this Christian life, it's my prayer that we will work from a position of forgiveness and love and redemption and not work for it. Because we know that Jesus did it all on the cross. We can add nothing to that and we certainly shouldn't take anything away from that. So if there is anyone here in this building or watching online that's never trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day in Jesus' name, amen.